48K News. Good afternoon, it's one o'clock, I'm Todd Harding. The top stories, a leading microbiologist says more timely data on mosquito surveillance is needed to help contain the spread of dengue fever. Officials say it's hard to estimate the response to a mainland residence permit scheme and six senior mainland officials are sacked following a vaccine scandal. A microbiologist at the University of Hong Kong, Dr. Holpak Leung, says the government should improve its existing mosquito surveillance program to help contain the spread of dengue fever. So far, 11 people have contracted the mosquito-borne disease. Dr. Ho suggested the government conduct real-time monitoring of mosquito numbers. The current OVHF system uh, only provides information about one month after those information, those uh, figures are collected. So I think it's time to think whether there could be some more real-time information, uh, such as by expanding uh, the current adult mosquito-based uh, surveillance figure uh, to larvae or pupa uh, surveillance system to provide additional information as to the more current status of the Aedes albopithecus. The Secretary for Constitutional and Mainland Affairs, Patrick Nip, says it's hard to estimate how many Hong Kong people who are living across the border will apply, for, will apply for a mainland residence permit. As Priscilla Ng reports, the SAR government will continue to introduce measures to encourage people to find jobs across the border. From September 1st, Hong Kong residents will have access to a range of public services on the mainland, including health care, social security, education, and be able to open a bank account if they apply for a residence permit. Speaking on an RTHK program, the Constitutional and Mainland Affairs Chief Patrick Nip described the scheme as a big step forward in making lives easier for those who live or work across the border. Mr. Nip said it's hard to estimate how many people will actually apply for the permit, but stressed the authorities will continue to roll out measures to encourage people to work on the mainland. He added that he's aware of concerns about hefty mainland taxes, which amount to as much as 30% of an individual's income if they stay on the mainland for over 183 days. Mr. Nip said he will continue to liaise with mainland counterparts over the matter, but stressed it is a complicated issue because taxation is a national policy that cannot be changed easily. Six senior officials at the mainland food and drug regulator have been sacked after a safety scandal at vaccine maker Changsheng Biotechnology revealed failings at the government body, including inadequate supervision. In a posting on its website, the State Administration for Market Regulation said that among officials dismissed were Ding Zhenhua, who headed two departments at the China Food and Drug Administration. Last month, Changsheng was accused of falsifying data for a rabies vaccine and manufacturing an ineffective vaccine for babies sparking widespread public anger and multiple probes, including police investigations. A massive relief and rescue operation is taking place in the southern Indian state of Kerala, where unusually heavy monsoon rains have caused devastating floods. Over 300 people have been killed, the majority of them in the past 10 days. More than 300,000 have been made homeless. A special train carrying a large quantity of drinking water is due to reach the state today. India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi is expected to survey the worst-hit areas from the air. Ravi Singh, the founder of a charity, Khalsa Aid, said the scale of the floods had taken Kerala by surprise. They expect monsoons, like we always do, in the region, in the, in the country, but not this level. It's like non-stop rain. And now they're forecasting more rain, which is even more devastating. So we have to now warn our own teams as well that not to be cut off or stranded when they're reaching to those affected. So it really has devastated the region and shocked 
the country. I think India is in shock. Italian President Sergio Mattarella is due to preside over a state funeral for 18 of the victims of Tuesday's bridge collapse in Genoa. Mr Mattarella and Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte will lead mourners at the ceremony at a hall in the city. So far, 38 people are confirmed to have died in the disaster and five are still unaccounted for. The judge in the trial of President Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, says he's received threats over the case. Mr Manafort denies bank and tax fraud. It's the first case brought by investigators looking into alleged links between the Trump campaign and Russia. The BBC's Chris Buckler was in court. The judge, T.S. Ellis, went so far as to say that he was personally surprised and concerned by how much the case had excited people's emotions. Judge Ellis also said that he himself had received threats, but he pointed out that unlike the jury, he had protection from US Marshals. The jurors have now completed two days of deliberations, and they will return to court to consider their verdict again on Monday. Tesla founder Elon Musk has revealed he works 120-hour weeks and takes sedatives. In an interview with the New York Times, Mr Musk also said he was not on weed when he controversially tweeted about taking the company private. The ramping up of production of the electric car company's mass-market Model 3 was one of the reasons why he admitted to being overworked and using sedatives to help him sleep. The former cricketer Imran Khan is due to be sworn in shortly as the new Prime Minister of Pakistan. He was confirmed by a vote in Parliament on Friday. From Islamabad, here's the BBC Secunda Kamani. This is the culmination of Imran Khan's two decades in politics. When Mr Khan was first elected to Parliament in 2002, his was the only seat his party won. Now, he's the Prime Minister of Pakistan. His first priority in government will be to address a mounting financial crisis with the economy in need of a $12 billion bailout. In a speech in Parliament last night, he repeated his campaign promises to hold corrupt politicians to account. The United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has said Palestinian civilians could be better protected by what he called a more robust UN presence on, on the ground in the Israeli-occupied territories. In a report, Mr Guterres suggested the deployment of an armed force under a UN mandate or additional UN rights monitors. Correspondents say such a move could only be approved by the Security Council, where the United States would be likely to use its veto. The former head of counter-terrorism for the Metropolitan Police in Britain, Mark Rowley, has warned that the threat from right-wing extremists in the country is growing. In an interview, Mr Rowley said that extreme right-wing groups were operating in similar ways to Islamist extremists, although not on the same magnitude. He added that some government institutions and the media are underestimating the risk. A British newspaper has reported that the prestigious Sandhurst Military College is investigating claims that two officer cadets used the torture technique of waterboarding on a fellow recruit. An investigation has been launched. The BBC's Katie Austin has the details. Sandhurst has trained British Army officers for more than two centuries, including Prince William and Prince Harry. The Sun newspaper is reporting that earlier this month, two cadets at the military college waterboarded a fellow recruit. The trainee officer was allegedly pinned down before water was poured over a cloth covering their face. In a statement, Sandhurst commander Brigadier Bill Wright confirmed he had ordered an investigation by the Royal Military Police. He said the highest standards of behaviour were expected of those attending the academy and anyone found to have fallen short of that would be dealt with robustly and could be dismissed if appropriate. 
Ratings agency Moody's has downgraded Turkey's credit rating deeper into junk status and slapped a negative rating on its outlook. It's the latest blow to the country whose currency, the lira, has taken a battering amid concerns about fundamental economic problems and a diplomatic and trade dispute with the United States. Venezuelans have begun to steal themselves for new currency reforms designed to control the country's rampant hyperinflation. Businesses remain closed in several cities as shopkeepers worried about trading ahead of the government's plan to knock five zeros off the country's Bolivar currency notes. The new notes go into circulation on Monday. The 2018 Asian Games officially open tonight. Jakarta and Palembang are co-hosting the Games with the opening ceremonies set to take place in central Jakarta. Delegations from the 45 participating nations will parade into the main stadium this evening. RTHK's Atom Cheung has more from the Indonesian capital. The city of Jakarta is determined to put on a show that's better than the one by the game's previous hosts. You may recall that at Incheon 2014 in South Korea, there was a lot of star power in that opening ceremony, lots of K-pop stars, and the organizers even chose an actress rather than an athlete to light the cauldron. Here in Jakarta, organizers have confirmed that the Indonesian jazz pianist and Grammy Award nominee Joey Alexander will perform. Speculation has also begun as to who will light the flame. Many believe that it will be an Indonesian athlete and quite likely from the sport of badminton. The name Susie Sasanti has come up. She's a badminton player who won the country's first ever Olympic gold medal in 1992. And to end the news, a reminder of our top story. A leading microbiologist says more timely data on mosquito surveillance is needed to help contain the spread of dengue fever. The news from RTHK. And welcome to this week's edition of World Vibes with myself, Pierre Tremblay, in the chair till 3 p.m. This week, we have two musical themes on offer. First, we sample tracks off our featured new compilation album called City Beats, a collection of Arab artists and DJs from cities from the Middle East to North Africa. And in between, a selection of hot new hits from a few other places on the planet. As Giovanotti says it so well in Italian, we're still the belly button of the world. We start off with our featured album, City Beats, uh, which has put together uh, 11 artists uh, from uh, North Africa to the Near and Middle East uh, and giving their sounds of uh, the cities they're from. Our first uh, artist is calling himself El Farsi, using the letter 3 in Arabic, which sounds like C. He is now based in London. He had been based in Amman, Jordan. He was born in Palestine. He's a Palestinian percussionist, guitarist, singer, rapper, uh, and uh, he's a dedicated, versatile musician. His track is off his uh, solo endeavor. He's actually a um, founder of the band uh, Farsi El Madahil, as well as the other group 47 Soul. He's developing his own dub calling that he's calling the Sham Step. I think that's the sun step. So from uh, Amman to Palestine to London, here's El Farsi solo with uh, the track Dalik Malak. <laughs> 